there was a couple who were having difficulty, and they were almost to the breaking point, so they were having uh, counseling every week. And the husband and wife went into the counselor, and it was so bad, they had to be in separate rooms. And the counselor went to the husband and says, okay, so tell me how it's going. He says, I I don't understand it. Yesterday, I went to the kitchen, and I simply uh, reminded my wife that it was my birthday, and she grabbed a cup of flour and threw it at me. (laughs) She grabbed a cup of sugar and threw it at me, and she grabbed a stick of butter and threw it at me. And then she walked over, and she grabbed couple of eggs and smashed them on my head and smeared them around. I didn't know what to do. So the counselor with big eyes stood up and walked across the hall to the next room where the wife was and walked in there and says, I don't understand. I thought we made some progress last week. You, you promised me that you would make, a, make your husband a birthday cake for his birthday. What happened? She said, oh no. I promised to serve him cake. I, I didn't promise to, I didn't t- promise you how I would serve it. And of course, this ridiculous story, uh, this is a ridiculous story to a congregation uh, that is obviously really well-versed in how cakes are properly baked, as we saw last night with such fantastic desserts and such amazing uh, chili. We know that a list of ingredients does not a meal make. A list of ingredients does not a cake make. It's all in the rest of how you put those ingredients together, how it's made, and how it's served. And here we are in Colossians chapter 4, where we would get to see how the gospel, the cake of the gospel is to be baked, prepared, and served, and shared. And that's what we have today. Bow with me if you would. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, we ask that you bless the reading of your word that we just heard. We ask that you open our hearts and our ears and our minds to to receive it, to understand it, to learn from it. And Lord, even this morning, I pray that we'll be ready to uh, leave from here equipped to serve you and equipped to to, uh, minister to others in a a new and fresh way. the truth of who you are, the truth of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, let's look uh, here in Colossians uh, chapter 4, it's verse 2 through 6. Now, uh, this, is, I, this has really been an enjoyable series. If we can think, think back over the last few weeks, uh, uh, going back to, to December and January, where um, uh, we uh, had different ingredients of the gospel, different ingredients of the truth, of uh, who Christ is, of where, of of how his he came to earth, his mission, the the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, by him and through him all things have been created. Uh, and various different parts of, uh, of this book that uh, have, t- have reminded us and taught us of the truth of the gospel. We remember that the Colossians were a church of, uh, that was uh, led and established by Epaphras, another person uh, that uh, Paul commends in this, uh, in this letter. We also remember that this was uh, a letter that Paul was in prison when he was writing this, uh, wasn't certain whether or not he would ever get to see the people in Colossae after this letter was delivered to them, but yet uh, the 
delivery of the letter uh, had some importance for them, and it has importance for us, too, as we read it today for Christians of all time. And if you remember, even just last week, some pretty important and pretty uh, hard-hitting and hard-cutting, deep-cutting words of encouragement and advice that uh, Adam uh, preached to us uh, so well. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents and everything. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Bondservants, obey in everything. Those who are your earthly masters, I'm looking back in the end of chapter three. These are very uh, important and yet can be very deep and personal admonitions. I don't know about you, but when I hear husbands love your wives, when I hear fathers do not exasperate your children and not provoke them to wrath, it, it cuts deep. It cuts deep. And I can almost see Paul, as he's writing this, as if he was sitting across the table from, from me, giving me some very hard, straightforward advice. And he sits back a minute, puts his hands together, and he watches as the wheels are turning in my mind. How? <laughs> How can I love my wife this way? You don't know what we're going through. How can, my cho- How can I not provoke my children. You don't know there's that one child that we, we can't even communicate. How? And Paul gives the answer. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer. How many of us have been on either side of that same conversation? This is hard. This is difficult. Pray about this. Pray in it, through it, above it, below it. Pray at the beginning, pray at the end. Pray through this. Continue steadfastly in prayer. That's how. That's how you bake the cake. (laughs) That's how we put the ingredients together in prayer. So let's uh, continue to look. Now, when you see how often Paul reminds us that we need to be in prayer, we see it's it's uh, all over uh, the letters that we see. It's all over the New Testament. First Thessalonians five seventeen. pray without ceasing. If you look at the example that Christ gave to us, Jesus also prayed frequently. In fact, it's, it's likely that if you did a tally count of an individual in Scripture who is recorded as praying the most, it might be Christ himself. And you'd think that... Uh, you know, why would Christ be the one who was recorded praying the most? We always see him stepping, stepping away. He prays in public. He prays in private. He prays about every situation. He even thanked the Lord. He thanked, thanked the Father that uh, some mysteries were not, uh, were not revealed to, to everyone, but just to children. Christ himself gave us that example of prayer continually and constantly. Uh, The next uh, phrase in verse 2, chapter 4, verse 2 of Colossians, comes of a more description of how we pray. Not just steadfastly, not just continually, but being watchful. Being watchful with thanksgiving. Now, when we hear the, the word watchful, or at least when I hear the word watchful, one 
uh, other passage in Scripture that remind that I'm that calls, is called to mind to me is the night when Jesus was before he was uh, arrested and put on trial. After he had a meal with his disciples, he took them to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he brought Peter and James and John even further along with him. He says, my, my heart is grieved. I'm in earnest prayer. Stay with me and watch. He told them to watch. Watchful prayer. Uh, Jesus was telling them, to stay awake, stay alert. How do we do that? Well, ask in God's will. Ask to see as God sees. As we pray, ask God, show me what you see in this, God. Praying for a, a, a new job, a better job. Heavenly Father, show me what you see you have for me in this next job. Show me what you would lead me towards. Show me what you would have me say to my child. Show me what you'd have me say to my daughter, to my wife, to my coworker. Ask to see as God sees. So being watchful and being thankful. Um, there is an uh, example of being watchful in prayer that uh, I found. Uh, John Piper gives a famous example, and I think it's a pretty good one. He says, watchful prayer is more like a field walkie-talkie in combat, a field combat walkie-talkie, <laughs> instead of a butler's intercom. He says, we've made prayer into a butler's intercom. We sit back in our relaxing chair and we push the, gently push the button and say, bring me another pillow. But instead, we should be like, uh, now I don't have a lot of combat experience, so I really don't know what this is like. But, you know, I've watched a lot of war movies, so that makes me an expert. Uh, it's a lot of noise, there's bombs going off, there's gunfire, and they're into the walkie-talkie. You loudly as you can and as succinctly as you can. You tell them exactly where we are and we need some heavy firepower right now, right here. Blow the top off of this hill. That's what prayer is for. That's what it is. That's watchful prayer. Specific, deliberate, exact. Now, thinking of it this way, is there anything that... Is there anything that we should not be praying about? Now listen to that question. Maybe there's things we shouldn't pray for. Sure. But is there anything we shouldn't pray about? No. God is in everything. He, is, he made everything. He is our uh, creator. The world we live in is made by God. Every step we take, every breath is a gift from God. There's nothing we should not be praying about. In fact, in our life, God has given us uh, a, uh, uh, I guess, a, a way of giving us alerts as to what we need to be praying about. Friends, when those feelings of 
anger rise up in our hearts, when that feeling of, of anger rises up in my heart, God's telling me, that's something to pray about, not to yell about. When that feeling of stress comes into my life, God's saying, that's something to pray about, not to stress about. When that, those uncontrollable feelings of anxiety and worry well up in my heart, God's saying, this is something to pray about, not worry about. All right, so here's some specifics on how to be watchful in our prayer, uh, to be alert. Uh, one is, uh, you know, if we're, one thing that I'll find sometimes if I sit and I'm preparing to pray, <laughs> I, I fall asleep. Just like, uh, you know, Peter and James and John were falling asleep, I do too. Uh, you know, go to sleep earlier. I need to do that. <laughs> go to sleep earlier the night before so you can wake up earlier and sleep and pray. Wake up earlier and sleep. Yeah. Wake up earlier and pray. Also, uh, very practical, make a, uh, a list of prayers. How many of you have a written list of things that you pray about? How many of you do that? Now, I'm not very good at that, but some of you do. Ah, if you do that, does it help? To have a written list of things to pray about? How about that? Yeah. Do you go back to it over and over again sometimes if you're praying about things for, for several weeks or days at a time? Yeah. Yeah, it's very helpful. It's very helpful. Uh, how about agreeing with others in prayer? This is an excellent, exceptionally excellent way to, to, uh, to be watchful in prayer. You know, thinking of prayer being described this way, it's an experience that... Um, I, sometimes I think of it as, uh, how many of you have ever had the ch opportunity to help push a car for a friend? Or maybe your own car. You ever had done that before? Something you don't want to do too often, do you? Right? What's the feeling we all get when we get behind that car and it's time to push? You're like, oh, okay, here we go. You push as hard as you can and at first nothing's moving, it seems, right? But you keep persistent pressure and all of a sudden you realize it starts to creep, and a little bit, and a little bit, and it starts to move. And if you're on level ground, before you know it, the momentum is so great, you can hardly stop the thing, right? Well, how much better is it when there's two or three or four more with you pushing that car, right? And sometimes prayer is just the same way. It's just as, just as practical. It's a lot harder, it's a lot easier to be watchful in our prayer if we pray together with others. Amen? Amen? Uh, pray immediately. Pray on the spot. Pray on the spot. If some, you're talking with a friend of yours, especially another, especially another believer who understands what prayer is for, and they tell you about a need they have or a concern they have or even something they're thankful for, stop right there and, let's, and pray together and agree with your friend right, right then and there. Uh, follow up with your friends. Remind yourself to ask them later, how's that going, what we prayed about? How, did, how is it going? Or if someone prays for, for me and I, God reveals the answer to that prayer and, and uh, I'll, I'll seek that friend out and remind them, hey, you remember you, we prayed together about this and this is what God did. This is how God, how God answered that prayer. All right. Um, that is uh, watchful, being watchful in prayer. These are different practical ways of being watchful in prayer. Uh, now, also, he says, be uh, with thanksgiving. How do we pray? 
We're watchful, but we're also praying with thanksgiving. Now, in our prayer list, we have things that we're praying about. What, uh, how many of you also have a list of things you're thankful for in your prayers? Has anybody list those out? Anybody done that before? I see back there. Great, excellent, excellent, excellent. Uh, you know, looking at the example that we see in the New Testament about prayer, uh, I just mentioned 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 for praying without ceasing, right next door, 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Uh, thankfulness is uh, consistent with prayer. In fact, thankful uh, prayers of thanksgiving may ought to be what we pray about the most. If we sometimes realize, you know, some, you know, what's some one thing that helps that holds us back from praying sometimes? Well, God already knows. God already knows my needs before I mention them. Why do I need to schedule time to pray? Well, of course God knows, but he commanded us to pray. He asked us to pray, and who else are you going to ask? But more than that, since he's always the answer to our prayers, our prayer should always begin with thanksgiving. Our prayer should always begin with thanksgiving. Uh, just one chapter back, Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verse 15 and 17. Let me read those for us just uh, as an example. Colossians 3, verse 15 and 17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. What's, what's next? Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thankfulness at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end. Thankfulness, the main ingredient of prayer. Thankfulness. Psalm 95.2, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Psalm 101, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Some would remind us that even because of verses like this, it shows that that is even the, the best and primary beginning to a prayer is thanking God. In fact, if there was a, if, now this doesn't happen, I'm so glad it doesn't, but if it happened and someone snapped there, or if, if I was in a dream world, and all of a sudden, there was only one phrase that I could say in prayer, and I had to pick just one, and there would be no other phrases I could ever say in prayer. The phrase, thank you, God, might be it. That might be all I need to say in prayer, is thank you, God. It says who, it, says who, it recognizes who's, who's in charge, God. It's recognizing, as Christ commanded, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Thank you. It's already done. Thank you. My prayer, you even, the answer is already on the way. Thank you, God. We can also thank God for specific 
for very, you know, very specific things. <laughs> Thank you, God, that I found that close parking space. I think I've mentioned, I think I joke about that uh, from time to time, and it's a good thing y'all don't remember my sermons because I repeat a lot. But uh, it's a corny thing. Yeah, give, us, give me a close thing. Give me a close uh, parking space, Lord. But you know, if you're if if you're uh, a person who needs a close parking space for health reasons, then by all means, that's a good thing to pray for. And it's a it's an example that everything everything deserves prayer. You know, we've been we pray we just this morning we prayed for for a a child in in NICU. We prayed for Ann Mims' recovery from hip surgery. And we prayed uh, for, uh, we prayed for even light things and small things and heavy things and deep things with thanksgiving. All right. Now, after Paul reminds us to continually pray, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful, Verse three of chapter four, Colossians verse, chapter four, verse three. At the same time, pray also for us. His first request for prayer wasn't about him or his people with him. It was for, for us Christians to pray for the, the, the application of the gospel. But now he says, pray for us. And it makes sense. Paul being in prison and all, we need to pray for Paul. What would we pray for a man who's in prison? That he gets a fair trial, that he gets out, right? No, and he says, pray for us that God may open to us a door, right? The door to the prison. Isn't that what we're praying for? No. Look at what he asks for prayer for. A door Open that God may open us a door for the word. A door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am, am in prison. Paul says, there's people here. There's lost people here that need Jesus. Some of them have a closed heart, a closed mind, a closed ears, the door seems shut. Pray that God will open a door that we can speak the mystery of Christ. What is that mystery? Colossians chapter one. Let's see, verse 25. Colossians chapter one, verse 25. Uh, joining about midway through. Uh, God that was given me to me for you uh, to make the word of God fully known. Verse 26, chapter one, verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory for this mystery, which is Christ in you. That's the mystery. How can the God of the universe, how does the creator of all reside in you through Christ? That's the mystery that's been revealed in Christ. 
And he, he reminds us also, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles too. And where, Peter, where Paul was in prison, yes, there were, there were Jews uh, in his midst. He was in the type of custody where people could come and go and share with him and minister him and give, give him uh, help and uh, visit with him. As, we see, as we'll see later in this chapter, certain people were visiting with him. At least one was a prisoner with him and others were not prisoners, but they were still with him. But still, most of those who were bought near him, his captors at least, were Gentiles. And this is the mystery that Christ is no respecter of persons. Christ is in, the, is, Christ is, uh, is uh, revealed as God with us, God in us, Jew and Gentile alike. So that's what he was praying for, that God would open a door, that he could share the gospel. All right, I'm going to read through the rest of this chapter and kind of uh, detail out uh, something that has to do with uh, some specific examples that we have uh, uh, fulfilling this very same request. All right? So Paul says that this is the account of which I, this is, this mystery of Christ is the account, on his account of which I am in prison. Verse four, my, uh, repeating his request, that I make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each, per each person. So, Paul was in prison for, uh, on account of Christ. That's why he was in prison. Now, um, there was a legal reason why he was in prison. Remember, to the Jews, uh, the problem with the Jewish community uh, and the, the gospel of Christ was that Christ was God. Christ was equal to God, and they, that was a stumbling block to the Jewish community. They didn't understand how that, what blasphemy that Paul and Peter and the Christians were preaching, and it was unacceptable. But to the Romans, what was unacceptable... Now, remember, Romans had all kinds of gods. Christians wouldn't have been their enemy if you just add one more god to the mix. We've got lots of them. Add one more. You've got, you have a God named Jesus, no problem. Add him to the mix, we're fine. But Paul was in prison. Why? Because the message is that Christ alone is God, Lord and Savior. No other gods. And so this was, was indeed the reason he was in prison. And yet, in God's sovereignty, he was there to have an audience among the people in that prison, his captors, and also an opportunity to write these letters that we hold in our hands today. This is why he was there. Now in verse four, he says, "Help that I pray that I make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Pray that I make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. In other words, he's saying, 
Pray that I speak the truth without mud or murk. Pray that it's clear and sharp. Now, listen, all of us sometimes pray or sometimes we have a a friend or someone who needs to hear the gospel. Now, um, last night we had uh, some really good chili. And most of you guys that, or most of you all that uh, participated in that made some really good batches of chili. And I'm sure that along the line you would taste it. And I don't know if anybody here would say, you tasted your chili and I thought, and thought, there's just too much flavor here. I need to water it down a bit and you know, douse it with a bunch of water. No, we don't do that. What we try to do is get all the flavors to really uh, uh, blend together and be uh, tasted and noticed so that there's a real savory, delicious meal. Well, that's the, that's the way it is with the gospel of Christ when we speak to uh, people who are lost and need to hear the truth. Watering it down is not what we're about. It's an open door. Meet the need. It's a subject matter that God will present a subject matter that will begin the conversation where we can tell them the truth. Now, what is the truth? Now, the truth isn't that you tell about uh, I may be able to tell, listen, I may be able to tell about things that I pray about or things that I'm thankful for or things that I appreciate, but the truth of the gospel is teaching, telling who Jesus is. It's telling people Jesus. Telling people Jesus. That's, that's what we are presenting Clearly. To those who, uh, are, who are lost and need Christ need to know that, our, the, that the problem of sin cannot be erased by any other way other than the name of Jesus and his blood and his sacrifice for you. And each one of us will be judged one day by, uh, by Christ. And the only ones who are forgiven under Christ, our judge, are those who believe and trust in him. That's our only hope. That's the truth of the gospel. So, um, we're not watering it down. We tell them the truth. But respectfully, in a way that they can hear. You know, now, when I was, a, when I was young, uh, as a child, I think my mother was really impressed with vitamins, and she thought there was a lot of good in giving lots and lots of vitamins. And so there was a particular vitamin that was in a little clear capsule, and as a child, and, you know, instead of taking it when I should have, I examined that capsule real carefully and kind of twisted it, and it came open. And uh, some of that powder got on my finger, and I tasted it, and it, oh, it tasted horrible. It was awful. It was horrible, awful. I wouldn't want to swallow it. Now, kids, don't do that. All right? Where's my uh, children? It's in a cop- capsule for a reason. All right? Don't do that. And also, kids, don't take, touch or even taste any medicine that your parents don't give to you. All right? Don't do that. But what I'm trying to say is the truth of that medicine was in a capsule form where I could swallow it and it could do the good it's supposed to do. Right? So when 
When we're talking about opening a door that we can present the gospel or present the truth to people, we're talking about telling it in a way that it can get past that closed door that people do put up, right? Now think about, I'm gonna go through a couple of examples. Do you remember that when uh, Jesus met with Nicodemus? He was a Pharisee, he was a leader of the Jews. There was an open door. If you go back to John chapter three, you'll notice that there was a way, there was a reason why Nicodemus was there. And he says what it is. Nicodemus had seen the miracles that Jesus performed. And as a Pharisee, as a man of the law, as a leader of the Jews, he could not explain those miracles any other way than that, 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 that Jesus was from God. And he said that to him. He says that no one can do these unless they're from God. That was the open door. And what did Jesus tell him? He said, you must be born again. The son of man must be lifted up. For God so loved the world. Tearing up here a bit. (laughs) That he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Probably the simplest form of the gospel was spoken to the leader of the Jews, a Pharisee, a man of the law. Think of the next chapter, John chapter four, where Jesus sits by a well in Samaria. Another open door. A woman comes to draw water and he speaks to her and he says, give me a drink. And by those few words, he had crossed boundaries that she was utterly shocked that a Jewish man would ask her for water. And what did he do? He shared with her the gospel. She said, I know when when Messiah comes, he'll reveal all things to us. He said, I am he. I'm, I'm he, that's me. In uh, Luke chapter 24, um, actually, I've got it printed here, so I'm not gonna turn to it right now. In Luke chapter 24, after Jesus, was, after Jesus has rose from the grave, this is one of the most fascinating stories that I remember uh, from that time period was that he appeared on the road to Emmaus to a, a, uh, to a couple of people who were followers of Christ and who were astounded. They, were, they did not know what to make of it. They said, we, we thought that Jesus would be the Messiah, but he was crucified and he died. And now we're hearing that someone says he, was, he had rose, risen from the grave and he, he, was, he was risen. And we don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to us. And verse 27 of Luke chapter 24, uh, Jesus was there speaking with him and he, he, he had he had for some, somehow uh, hidden his identity for the moment from them. But he spoke to them and he says, with, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. These were people who knew the scripture, but they didn't understand it and they didn't understand that they were pointing to him. Jesus told them they're pointing to the Messiah. And later, as he blessed the bread, as they were eating, they realized and it was revealed to them that he was the Christ. That was the gospel. 
The open door was the walk and the talk and the conversation. And he presented to them the truth of who he was, right? A couple of quick examples also in Acts chapter 10. Uh, we see, and uh, a couple of, few weeks ago, we were talking about this in our, in our GDI class. In Acts chapter 10, there's a, an amazing story of when Cornelius, a, a Gentile, was visited by an angel and by a miracle invited Peter to come and talk with him. And God revealed to Peter that this was his will, to come and meet with this Gentile, which had been forbidden for purity's sake, for a, a pure, a clean Jew to remain clean and was not allowed to meet with Gentiles. But yet, this, this miracle happened to show us that God does not keep that dividing wall anymore. That dividing wall is gone. And so Peter comes in, and here's Cornelius. This great uh, effort was made to bring Peter to talk with Cornelius, and Cornelius and all of his family and his people were there with him, and there was this audience there to listen to the great Peter. And Peter, tell us what you have to say. Teach us what this message of the gospel is. And I do want to turn here because I want to read it to us. In chapter 10, he opens his mouth. I talk about a softball. (laughs) These guys are asking, their mouths are wide open, their ears are wide open. They're begging for the gospel of Jesus. And what does he say? He says, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. This means that anyone who is ready to listen can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And he went through a very short, brief explanation. Uh, Jesus was sent for ministry and for a purpose. He performed signs and miracles, and he was crucified, and he died. And he was buried, and he rose again, and Christ will judge us all. He commanded us to preach. This is verse 42 of Acts chapter 10. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Verse 43, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. Everyone who believes receives forgiveness of sin through his name. Later on in Acts, we see an interesting story. It's it's, uh, uh, Paul is speaking to the Philippian jailer. After being released from jail, talk about an open door, metaphorically, symbolically, and realistically. An open door. He says, "Don't, don't do yourself harm. We're all still here. The jailer begs, what must I do to be saved? Paul tells him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. In Acts 17, Paul's visiting Athens. He sees this collection of of idols to all these gods. He even sees one that says to the unknown God, an open door. He opens his mouth, he speaks. He says, I'm here to tell you about this unknown God, the only one true God. Believe in the name of Jesus. He was raised from the dead and you'll be saved. Now, so far, these examples are usually for, that I've given, are for those who are lost, okay? 
those who are lost. Now, most of it, I'm looking through this, this room, and I don't know every single person in your status with Christ, but I think most of you I know are believers in Christ, and you trust in him, and you have this salvation. You're praying for your family members, for your friends or others that you may be thinking about. But guess what, guess what else? Remember, this is not the only uh, purpose of what we've seen here in the book of Colossians. It's not just the very start of the message of the gospel. It's how to live out and how to walk that gospel. How to, what do we do now that we, that we are redeemed under Christ? What we do now is we become, we live like Christ and we become more like Christ in every one of these relationships, in every one of our situations. Think back again. Wives, submit to your husbands. Be more like Christ. Husbands, love your wife. Be more like Christ. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Be more like Christ. Be obedient to your, uh, your masters or your overseers. Be more like Christ. Serve one another. Be more like Christ. This is how we be more like Christ. All right, so I'm going to now look at the last example that I, that I have. How does this apply to my life, Rodney? What can I do about this? I'm gonna open to John chapter... Uh, 21, John chapter 21. Okay, I'm gonna give you, here's, here is one example. Now remember a time from, uh, from, from my life, okay? When I was a young man, when I was a teenager, young teen, uh, there was a time when my, I was with my parents and we were in, the, in our living room and some conversation had started and there was something that my, my dad or my, it was, yeah, it was my dad had asked me to do. And I was right at that stage of life where uh, I had just had enough. I'd had enough of that transition between childhood to manhood. I'd had enough of being told what to do. And I had enough of... Uh, of being compliant, and I uh, barked back at my dad, I am not gonna do that. With every bit of 12-year-old emphasis that I could put on it. <laughs> All right, now each one of you probably have had that experience. Maybe you weren't 12, maybe you're another age, but each of us have done that, right? Now our parents, God bless them. They, they, sometimes they succeed and sometimes they, they fail. And I'm a parent and I'm telling you, I sometimes mostly, I fail more than I succeed, but sometimes I do better than others. But listen, listen. In my heart, as a parent, I tend to want to do everything wrong first. I want to do everything wrong first. But I want to tell you how my dad handled that with me. All right? He stopped, he swallowed a minute, he didn't answer. He listened and nodded, he didn't answer right away. After a few minutes, he came to me and said, Rod, let's go for a walk. 
It was a bit chilly out that night. He said, let's bundle up, let's put coats and hats on, let's go for a walk. And we went for a walk. And my dad looked, as we were walking, he, I, the, the conviction in my heart of what I deserved and what I was not getting overpowered me. And my dad reminded me of who I was, that I was his son, that he loved me. But ultimately, I don't belong to him. I belong to Jesus. I belong to Christ. And as I grow into a man, there are times when I'll make my own decisions. But he said, son, that's not yet. And there are times when I need, to, need you to do something. I need to ask you to do something, and I need to expect you to do it. And I expect you to do it respectfully right away. Yes, Dad. So that's, what, that's an experience that I had. Now, John chapter 21. Remember uh, Peter who had denied Christ, who had, uh, during Christ's, uh, remember Peter was the one who said, I'll be here, I'm gonna stand here, I'm not gonna leave you, I'm gonna make sure that nothing bad happens to you during this, uh, this upcoming trial, I'll protect you, I have this sword. Peter was ready for a fight, right? And what happened? <laughs> when the fight came, the chickens came out. He was as chicken as he could be. He denied Christ. I didn't, I don't know him. I'm not with him. He denied him, right? And he was heartbroken over that. The Spirit of God was breaking his heart in this. And even after Christ's resurrection, we have this story of how did Jesus restore him? Uh, when they finished breakfast, this is John chapter 21, verse 15. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, I know that you love, that I lo you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. A third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. All right. In our homes, in our lives, with our children, with our wives, with our husbands, even when we know what the truth is, we have the truth on our side, we've got all the facts. Like Jesus could have said, Peter, I told you you were going to fail. You said you were going to be there for me, and you didn't live up to it. I told you so. I can't count on you. I can't trust you. Dads, do we say these words to our own children? Husbands, wives, do we say these things to our own spouses? These are heartbreaking. This is terrible medicine. This is taking the truth that God gives of love and like taking the ingredients of a cake and making it into a food fight. Do not, we should not make the truth into a food fight. 
But no, what Christ did was he sat with Peter. He baked the cake. He sat with Peter. He cut him a slice and they enjoyed it together. You belong to me, Peter. I know you love me. Show me by what you do. I've shown you I love you by what I've done. You show me you love me by what you do. And they shared it together. Bow your heads with me if you would. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we ask that you give us, uh, help us to live and understand this example. Help us understand your word that you open to us of how to speak properly, how to speak clearly and succinctly, that the truth will be heard. And Lord, we know that, what we, that our role, that what we do, Lord, is to state the facts. We tell who you are. We tell how, why we believe them. But ultimately, in the end, the gift of belief, the gift of faith is a gift that comes from you alone, Lord. We ask that even in all of our conversations, in all of our actions, in all of our relationships, Lord, that you bless those, Lord, with the gift that you alone give. Lord, we ask that your name be glorified, and we ask that your gospel be spread around the world. And Lord, as we prepare here for, your, uh, for the, the table that you've prepared, I prepare our hearts even now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.